0: Please turn with me in your Bible to Judges chapter 17 and 18 this morning. Judges 17 going into chapter 18. Let's pray together. Father, as we hear the pages of our Bibles turning, we open up our hearts to you. We want to have ears to hear what your spirit saying through your word, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? Please just set me aside and give me grace and clarity and strength in teaching your word. Those things that are on our minds this morning, that are weighing down our hearts, we just give them to you. We pray that we could see the importance of doing what's right in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would focus your attention on verse 6 of chapter 17, we get our theme verse this morning. This is verse 6 of chapter 17. In those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the first time this phrase is used in the book of Judges, and it sums up the 400-year period. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. There was no leadership. They departed from the fear of the Lord. They departed from doing what was right in God's eyes. And everyone was their own boss. I think that we see the parallels to our own culture when I was praying about what book that we should go through, it really hit me that what was happening in the time of the judges is also happening in the time that we live in. It's everywhere. It permeates every aspect of society that I'm just going to do what's ever right in my own eyes. And if that feels good, then it must be right. There's no morality. There's no right and wrong. And we're expected to then live in, in this fashion. What we found in the book of Judges is it leads to an absolute disaster, doesn't it? And if you're not convinced of that yet, stick with us for the last few weeks of Judges. We're going to see that just the society begins to unravel from the core because it's self-focused, it's self-rule. And that's why we've entitled this study, I Rule, because it shows us the damage when we put ourselves in control and in authority of our own lives. So these two chapters that we're going to go through this morning, it focuses on one character named Micah, and we see what will happen and the destruction that takes place in our lives when we choose to do what's right in our own eyes instead of doing what's right in God's eyes. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 17. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, Micah becomes the chief character in our story, in the storyline this morning. So he's speaking to his mom the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me, I took it. So he robbed from his mom 1,100 shekels of silver. She apparently put some kind of curse upon that silver, some kind of spell upon that, that silver. And the son decides, well, I'm going to return this money back to my mom. To get a frame of reference of how much money 1,100 shekels of silver is, is in a few more verses, we'll find that a good wage for a year's worth of work was 10 shekels of silver. A whole entire year of work, 10 shekels of silver. And this family has 1,100 shekels of silver. This is a great fortune. Tons of money that has been entrusted to him. The son decides that he's going to take it and he's going to steal it. Maybe you've observed this. A lot of times in families where there's great wealth, instead of it leading to unity inside of the family, it leads to division. There's something to fight over. And especially as the parents step into eternity, then the kids and the grandkids start to fight for that inheritance. And this family has great wealth and we find that it brings division as well. In Christ, hopefully, if we're living for him, our eyes are on him. Hopefully that wouldn't be the case, but many times it is. Continuing in verse 2, and his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. This is an interesting response, isn't it? Her son is just stolen from her, and then she says, May you be blessed of, of the Lord. We don't find her speaking truth into her son's life. We don't we don't find her confronting the stealing. We find her doing what's right in her own eyes. We find Micah doing what's right in his own eyes. So, verse 3 So, when he returned the 11 shekels, 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated this silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, there I've for I will return it to you. So she's saying, my intention with this money all along was to build an idol, to build this image that I would mold and to entrust some money to you. You never had to steal it. And this, to me, brings us to the first point of what happens in our lives when we do what's right in our own eyes, when there's self-rule, and it's that we turn blessing into idolatry turns blessing into idolatry. This is a tremendous blessing. I'm sure there was very few people in Israel this time that had this much money. And instead of leading it to a deeper place of love and devotion for God, it leads them to idolatry. It leads them to this place of doing exactly what God said not to do. Don't create any idol. Don't create any image that you carve with your own hands. The Ten Commandments. Have you found that if you're not careful that blessings can lead to idolatry in your life as well? Ideally, a blessing would cause us to come to the Lord in thanksgiving, to fall in love with the giver, to not fall in love with the gift. But that's not oftentimes what happens. Maybe it's a truck. God blesses you with a truck. Oh man, I've been saving, the Lord provided, and here I am, I'm able to buy this truck Before long, you find that maybe that truck just has a little bit too much of your affection. Then the day happens. You know the day that I'm talking about. The first dent happens in the truck. Hopefully, you're the one who put that dent in it because if it was someone in the family, look out, death could come to them, right? Because they have messed with this amazing gift that, that I've been given. And before long, this blessing that God has given to us to bring us to a place of, God, just thank you. I know that I didn't necessarily need this truck, but you, you gave me the desires of my heart, and I want to honor you with this truck. And That's where we begin, but then it becomes something where it's mine, and I've got to maintain it, and oh no, it got a dent, and it got scratched. Maybe going through a season of being unemployed, or underemployed, or coming out of college, and longing for a stable job, and God blesses, and he moves, and all of a sudden, you're in a job that you never thought you'd be in, that you're really not qualified for. And oh, Lord, thank you so much for for this job. But over time, then it becomes entitled to this job. I I, I deserve this job. And then this job consumes your whole entire soul, and it consumes your whole and entire being. And you don't really have time to be at church anymore because you're at work, and I've got this job, and I need to fulfill this job. And I, well, I don't really have time to read my Bible anymore because I try to sit down and read my Bible, but I'm thinking about my job. i, I got to answer this email. I've, I've got to make the, the, this phone call, and this blessing can turn into an idol, can it? Sometimes even in relationship. God blesses with a, an amazing godly spouse, some, some wonderful children, and before we know it, we've elevated them, and we've put them to a place where they're above the Lord. Your spouse can never be Jesus for you. You're going to love your spouse best if you're in love with Jesus first. I know it happens to, to my heart, something I have to guard, guard myself. Each of these things that we'll talk about this morning, I, I see inside of, of myself. When the Lord blesses, worship him in those blessings, but don't turn the blessings into an idol. That's exactly what Micah and his mom do. They turn the blessing into an idol. In verse 4, Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So Micah has the idol that was created from the silver, But he also has a shrine. He's got an ephod now. An ephod was given to the children of Israel for the priests to wear, specifically only the high priest. We're finding compromise entering in to a great degree. Then he decides, I'm going to take one of my sons, and I'm going to consecrate him to be priest. It was only the sons of Aaron that were to be priests, and the Levites were to be the assistants to the sons of Aaron. They were the assistant priests. You couldn't just go around and say, okay, you're a priest. You're a priest. Priests were to be appointed by God, not appointed by man. But he thinks that he's able to do this. In verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do we see the destruction of just doing what's right in our own eyes? Proverbs warns us about this in several places. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A fool always thinks he's right. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Ever been there? So convinced that this was the right way? In your own eyes, in your own perspective, but not seeking God's counsel, not seeking God's heart and God's wisdom, then it leads to death. Verse 7, now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, the house of Micah, as he journeyed. Bethlehem is in southern Israel, just five miles out of Jerusalem. Ephraim is northern Israel. So he travels great distance. He's looking for a home. He's looking for a place to stay. He's a Levite, which would qualify him to be an assistant to the priests. In verse 9, And Micah said to him, Where did you come from? So he said, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, Dwell with me, and be a father and priest to me, and I will give you ten shackles of silver per year, a suit of clothes, gets some bling-bling with the deal, some nice digs, and your sustenance. I'm going to take care of your room and board, give you 10 shekels of, of silver for one year of work as a priest. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite. He's going, you know, he's a genuine Levite. He's a Levite. He's got the right genes. Get it? Levi genes. So, (laughs) just seeing if you're with me this morning. He's got the right DNA. He's got the right genes. And so, I am going to make him a priest. I'm going to consecrate him a priest. Once again, he's got the wrong idea. He thinks he can just make his own religion. That he can consecrate a a priest without the Lord setting apart this man for God. And the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Isn't this interesting? Micah honestly believes God's going to bless him because he's got his token Levite. First he wanted his son to be a priest, but he knows, okay, that's a little bit off-base. You'd almost think if he was going to go into idolatry that he would just depart from any biblical understanding. But that's oftentimes not the case. Here's another thing to consider. That when we do what's right in our own eyes we mix truth with inaccuracy. He mixes truth with inaccuracy. And this is part of the self-deception. Because when we start to get away from doing what's right in his eyes we go, well, I went to church. And so Since I went to church, God's going to bless me, right? Or, you know what? I I smoke pot, but I smoke pot while I read the Bible. I like to mix the two together, and I get some pretty crazy things out of it. It's pretty phenomenal. Some of you are going, well, why are you picking on pot? It's legal. Yeah, I know it's legal, but it's not necessarily biblical. And so let me try to explain that a little bit. Because in Ephesians, it tells us in chapter 5 to not be drunk with wine. In dissipation but to be filled with the Holy Spirit God doesn't want any substance altering the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives I'm not an expert on smoking pot I I did grow up in Oregon but by God's grace I managed to stay away from it so it was everywhere but I don't have personal experience but from what I read and understand is that once you start to smoke pot it immediately alters your state it's not like drinking a beer where someone has a beer and then you've got to have three, four, five before you get drunk. So I would encourage you if you're in that place of saying, you know what, pot's a part of my life. And, and I really just want to mix it with the things of, of Scripture. is Examine your heart. Examine the Scriptures. See what's deeper there. Why do you need the pot? It, is it something that you could go to Christ for? Is it a quick fix when we need to go to, to Jesus Christ? but we do this in all areas of our lives. You know, some of you may be in a relationship that doesn't honor the Lord. We talked about sexual immorality last week, but then you go, I got my token Levite, so it's okay. You know, we pray together. Good for you, you pray together. That's awesome, I'm glad that you guys are praying together. Now get right with the Lord and go a little bit deeper in it. And so you understand that the deception that takes place when we go, well, I'll just put a little bit of God in here but I'm putting so much compromise in here as well, but the little bit of God in here keeps me from really having to deal with the conviction when God's heart is saying, I want all of you. I want the whole thing. We do it with things like bitterness and anger and covetousness. We put a Christian label on it instead of just going, it's anger, it's sin. It doesn't honor God and coming to the end of it. False religion will always mix truth with error, truth with inaccuracy. When you study the false religions, you'll find that they slip in truth. But the problem is, is they slip in a whole bunch of lies as well, and that's why it's more deceptive. When we go this direction of doing what's right in our own eyes, many times we'll mix truth with inaccuracy. Verse 1 of chapter 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in it. For until the day, until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. This is the second character in our story. First it's Micah, now it's the Danites. Judges chapter 1 tells us that Dan was given promised land in southern Israel, but were unable to inhabit the land because of how strong the enemy was. So instead of pressing into God, dealing with their own compromise, they decide, we want to find some easier land to inhabit. Well, we're going to go up north and we're going to look for some inheritance. And that's what happens in the next few verses. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtelah, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? Now that they're up north, they recognize this Levite. Maybe they knew him personally. Maybe there was a certain accent in his speech. If growing up in the southern part, they grew up in the same region. What are you doing way way up north here? And then they focus their attention on the idols. What, What do you have here? What's this shrine? What's this household idol? What's this molded image that you have? Verse four, he said to them, thus and so Micah did for me, he has hired me and I have become his priest. Serving as a priest was a calling of God, not earning a paycheck. Jesus warned about a hireling. He said, don't don't serve me just for what you can get. And this man, this young Levite, he is the quintessential hireling. He, he's in it for the money. In verse 5, so they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will prosper. This shows how far off the Danites are. They're on a sinful mission. They're trying to go conquer land that God didn't give to them, and they're asking a compromising Levite to go seek God for them. But in their mind, where they're at, this makes sense. Why, why don't you ask the Lord if we'll prosper? Maybe a better question is asking the Lord if it's his will, if this is what the Lord would desire. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. He gave God's blessing wrongly. Go in peace. God's presence is with you. God's presence wasn't with them. He didn't consult the Lord. He didn't know. We need to be careful that we don't put God's blessing on things that he's not into. We say God bless you. God, God be with you. God's into that. God honors that. He better be into what we're blessing. In verse 7. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt in safety in the matter of the Sidonians, quiet and securely. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. So This is who they're going to target. They, they see this group of people that are isolated, that have no ties, and they think this is going to be an easy group for us to conquer. Verse 8, Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtaloth. They come back to southern Israel. And their brethren said to them, What is your report? So they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we've seen the land, and indeed it's very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and to enter to possess the land. When you go, you will come to a secure people and a large land, for God has given it into our hands, a place where there's no lack of anything that is on earth. They're very quick to ascribe God to their actions. Verse 11, And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah and Eshtaloth, armed with weapons of war, then they went up and encamped in Kirath jerim in Judah. Therefore they call that place Meahah-Dan to this day. There it is, west of Kirath jerim And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim, and they came to the house of Micah. Seems like everybody stops at Micah's house. Here comes the young Levite. He stops at Micah's house. The five spies, they stop at Micah's house. They come back with the 600 men. Well, Probably makes sense. He probably had a pretty nice house with all those shekels of silver. Verse 14. And the five men who had gone to spy out the land of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you not know that, that there are in these, in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, there, consider what we should do. You say, Hey, guys, they got an ephod, they got idols, they got this what do you guys think we should do? And you can see their minds starting to turn. So they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men armed with the weapons of war who were of the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. So picture this. You've got the five spies, and right behind them are the 600 men who are armed for bear. Are you familiar with that expression? Some of you are like, no. So if you're going to go hunt bear, you've got to have a big rifle. You're armed for bear. You're armed for a battle. These guys are armed for bear. And they're very intentional on what they're going to do next. In verse 17, Then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up. Entering there, they took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with 600 men who were armed with the weapons of war. So not only is Micah doing what's right in his own eyes, his mom's doing what's right in her own eyes, but the Danites are doing what's right in their eyes. This is a short story to reveal the conditions of the heart of the whole nation of Israel. They just take whatever they want. Consider this, doing what's right in our own eyes, self-rule, takes at every opportunity, takes at every opportunity. That's what we're going to do if we don't surrender to Jesus Christ. Our selfishness has its way. I was talking with a man in the church before service last night, talking to Mike, and he was saying, isn't it interesting that you never have to teach any of your kids the word no? Did any of you guys teach your kids no? Did you ever teach them deception? Oh, you did? You you tell you no? Of course not. We don't teach our kids to lie. They do that all on their own. Do you teach your kids to be selfish? No, they do that on their own. Why? Because of our sinful nature. To be honest and to be transparent with you, every day that I wake up throughout the whole entire day, I battle my selfishness. I battle my sinful nature. I battle that part of me that just says, do what you want, get what you want, go after what you want. It's only Christ And what he's done upon the cross, as we sang this morning, the wonders of the cross. When I gaze at who he is, that he paid the price for me. Sometimes as we're singing worship, I'll I'll stop and ponder the words and the lyrics. And there's a lyric this morning that hit me that he took our shame and turned it into his praise. Isn't that powerful? That's a gospel. We are forgiven. That's what's taken place for us. And when we look at what Christ has done and put our faith in Jesus Christ, it conquers my heart. It provides more than enough motivation to say, I don't want to do what's right in my eyes. I want to do what's right in his eyes. Just taking at every opportunity, it's going to lead to death. It's going to hurt God's heart. It's going to bring destruction if we operate like the Danites. But when we surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it leads to abundant life. Not easy life, but abundant life. Worthwhile life. A life that's filled with meaning and a life that's filled with purpose. But for me, it's a daily choice. Jesus taught us to daily take up our cross. What does that mean? It's denying selfishness. It's acknowledging this is my nature. This is the direction I'm going to go. It's going to be iPhone, iPad, me all the time. Do it your way. You can find a lot of messages throughout culture to affirm that that ideology, and it's taking up our cross and saying, "No, I've got to die to selfishness and surrender to Jesus Christ." We also sang this morning, "I have decided to follow Jesus," and that is a decision that we made one day to receive salvation. But it's also a decision that we need to make every single day. Amen. Agreed? Because it's a real battle. We can pick on culture all day long, and we can point it out in culture how culture is self-rule, how our government is self-rule apart from the wisdom of God. But let's be honest, we all wrestle with it in our own lives as well, saying, Lord, I don't want to be that person that takes at every opportunity. I want to be that person that serves at every opportunity. We just finished Acts on Wednesday night, Acts 28. Paul was shipwrecked, comes to the island of Malta, they need a fire because it's cold and it's raining, and he went to gather sticks. It's the lifestyle of a servant. He didn't live his life taking. He lived his life giving. And that's what we desire in our lives. It's, it's counterculture. It's counterintuitive. But it's important. Because doing what's right in our own eyes takes at every opportunity. Verse 18. When these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth. That's a polite way of saying, shut up. Put your hand over your mouth. And come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. It's better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family. So the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the household idols and the carved image and took his place among the people. Sweet! I got a promotion. Hey, that makes sense to me. Why would I want to just be the priest of the household when I could be the priest of a tribe. So he takes the the silver, takes this idol, and the ephod goes with the Danites. Verse 21. And they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. When they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the house near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan, so they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you that you have gathered such a company? So he said, you've taken away my gods, which I made, the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say to me, what ails you? If you can create your own God, you're in trouble because your created thing can walk out the door in a moment's notice. Verse 25, and the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Hey, Micah, I think you better drop this little complaint that you have about us taking your idol. Because if you speak angry words to us, this is the end of you and this is the end of your household. Verse 26, Then the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. Another thing to consider with me this morning... Is doing right in our own eyes provides no stability. Initially, Micah thinks this is great. I've got a God with no accountability. I've got a God that doesn't tell me what to do. I've got a God that appreciates me every day, created in his own image. But then what happens? His created God could be stolen. His created God could walk out the door. And unless we build our lives on Jesus Christ... Our idols will let us down. God loves us enough for that to become our reality. If your God, your kingdom is your job, guess what? That job can walk out the door. If your God is your wealth, then guess what? Your wealth can grow wings and fly away. It can happen. If your if God is a relationship, we should be thankful for our relationships, but our relationships shouldn't be our God then what happens if that person goes home? What happens when they die? What if hap- something terrible happens in that relationship? If your God's your children, then what happens when your children move out of the house and they don't want to call for six months? It's earth-shattering, isn't it? It's hard stuff to deal with when we really look look inside of it. What are we building our life upon? Jesus challenged us with that question on the Sermon on the Mount. So there's two guys. Two guys building. One built his house upon the rock. One built his house upon the sand, the storm comes, the guy who built his house upon the sand, complete destruction. But the guy who built his house upon the rock endured the storm. Jesus said that the one who hears his teaching and does them is like the one who builds upon the rock. Stability is Christ. Jesus is unshakable, amen? He is unmovable, The trials of this life cannot shake who Jesus Christ is. He is our refuge. Build your life on Christ. That doesn't mean there won't be storms. There won't be trials. But he'll be with us through the trials, and we'll find our refuge in him. Doing what's right in our own eyes is easier and more convenient at the beginning. But it leads to absolute destruction. Jesus says, narrow is the way. There's a challenge to it. There's difficult, but it leads to life it leads to real stability. Isn't it a comfort believer to know if you lose your job, you still have Christ? If you lose your investments, your 401k in heaven is out of sight. It is doing great. Streets paved with gold. Isn't that nice to know? It's wonderful to know. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus will never leave you? He'll never forsake you? That whatever physically happens, whatever sickness comes, Christ is our refuge. He's a much wonderful Savior, much wonderful God. There's stability in Jesus Christ. Let's finish out this chapter and seek to make application. So they took the things that Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him, and they went to Laish, to a people quiet and secure. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. What's ironic with this, if you write down and read Deuteronomy chapter 12, is God said that if there was a Jewish city that had idols, that had idolatry, that that city was to be burned. The Danites deserved to be burned from God's perspective because of their own idolatry, but they're in going to the city and burning these quiet and secure people and taking it for themselves. A lot of times when I'm really burned with someone else, it's probably because there's something in my own life that I need to deal with. Verse 28, there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. That's creative, right? Hmm. Let's see. My name's George Foreman. I had a son. What should I name him? George Foreman. I had another son. What should I name him? George Foreman. Do you know like he had eight sons and he named them all George Foreman? It's like, George. No, George. No, no George. Okay, we've got the city of Dan, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. They wanted their own identity. So finally they they said, okay. In verse 30, Then the children of Dan set up from themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Girmash, the son of Manasseh, and his son were priests to the tribe of Dan. Catch this, don't miss it, until the day of the captivity of the land. Eventually, northern Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. In 586 B.C., southern Israel was taken captive by Babylon Dan, from day one, starts off in idolatry and never stops until they're taken out of, out of the land. Worship spreads. Church, worship spreads. Worship spreads. Worship spreads. Worship is important. What you worship will affect you, and it'll affect everybody around you. You want your God to be your job? Then guess what? That's going to affect your family. That's going to affect your kids. They're going to be raised in an environment that the number one thing is your job. They understand it's going to impact, it's going to go. One guy has a household idol, Micah. Oh, it's just in my house. Is it going to affect anyone? Is it going to bother anyone? Absolutely. It spreads to a whole tribe. And this tribe then spreads the idolatry to generations upon generations. Just about two years ago, we went to Israel as a church, a group of us. And we were in this region of Ephraim. Northern Israel, which is the Golan Heights, just north of the Sea of Galilee, they have the ruins of the idols from this region, from the children of Israel. It's some of the ancient, most ancient ruins in all of Israel. What was a little bit of a bummer is they have this park, and you walk up this trail to this altar from this time period, and there was a wind and rain, and they were concerned that the trees would fall on the hikers' So they closed this section of the trail. So we were so close, but yet still so far away. So we didn't actually get get to see it. But it really brought this to home. The whole city and generations was built on idolatry. But the flip side of this is true. If you become a worshiper of Jesus, that's going to spread. If you fall in love with him, if you pour out your life to him, if you surrender everything to him, and he's the most important in your life, and that's going to impact others as well. Worship spreads. Verse 31 So they set up from Manasseh Micah's carved image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. All that time, the house of God was in Shiloh. The reality, the tabernacle, what God had set up as true worship unto him, their idols caused them to miss out on the reality of worship, church. Maybe we're at this place where we're saying, you know, I just can't really get engaged with worship. Not just singing that we have, but my whole life really doesn't model worship. I'm really struggling to put things in the proper priority. I am really disengaged when it comes time to to sing to, to the Lord before we get into to God's word. I can't remember the last time that I lifted my voice to God out of sincerity and gratitude to the Lord. Could it be that our idols are preventing us from experiencing the reality of worship that God intends? That's what was going on with the Danites. They had to get rid of the idols if they were going to come back into true worship with God. And it's true in my life. It's true in our lives as well. So here's the application for us. Is it right in my eyes? Am I living my life of I'm going to do things that are right in my own eyes? Or am I living my life saying, God, I'm going to seek to do what's right in your eyes? So I want you to just think about yesterday. Let's just go back to yesterday. Okay, You woke up, Saturday morning, maybe you slept in a little bit, I hope you had some coffee. Saturday mornings are even better with some coffee. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Some of you need a little more coffee this morning, yeah? But you had your coffee and hanging out and enjoying the morning. And what consumed your thoughts for the day? What was on your mind? Was it thoughts of, this is what I want to do? this is what I need, this is what I deserve, I'm tired, I've worked hard today, this is what I need in return. Or were it thoughts of, God, you're so good. I'm so thankful for who you are. Thanks for the blessings that you've given to me. Thanks for my friends and my family. God, who can I bless today? Your kingdom come and your will be done. Again, confession time. There's way too much of the first for me, if I'm honest. There's way too much of I rule and not enough of Christ rule. And for us to not just walk out of the sanctuary unchanged, but to say, God, would you alter me? Would you change me? I need to get to a place where daily I'm crucifying the flesh and yielding myself to Christ. The motivation the real heart change comes as we look at the cross and we look at Calvary and go, Jesus, you surrendered your will. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and crying out, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Maybe you have your cup. You have your thing that you, you really don't want to go through. You don't really don't want to do. That's where Jesus was at. If there's any other way, let this cup of suffering, the cross, pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Why did Jesus do that? To glorify the Father and to save me and to save you. When we experience that and we identify with that and we wake up in the morning, we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to live for what's right in my own eyes. That leads to destruction. I want to live for what's right in your eyes. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would convict us, that you would change us. Lord, you see the selfishness in our hearts. You see those times when we wanna mix idolatry with truth and Lord, you you see, you know. And Lord, we just confess to you that we want to turn away from doing what's right in our own eyes to turn to you to live to do what's right in your eyes. Would you help us to apply your truth through the power of the Holy Spirit